0: Our Father, we are mindful and we are told in your word that uh, every good and perfect gift comes down from above and it comes from you. We are very unwise if we are not thankful. We are very foolish if we don't have gratitude in our hearts. And the only reason that we would not be thankful and the only reason that we would not have gratitude is that our perspective has been skewered. And if indeed that is the case, and it happens from time to time, we ask that you would straighten us out. Because we have been given so much. We thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for the gift of health. We thank you for freedom to assemble and to study uh, your word. There are so many people in the world who would love to have the freedoms that we have here. and We want to be mindful and we want to be careful to give you thanks for what we have. We are grateful that we know Christ. We, we are grateful that you have invaded our lives and that you have revealed yourself to us. You've given us the gospel. You've given us the good news in a world full of bad news. Uh, the fact of the matter is the, the world, the news it gives us is not bad enough. There is no hope. There is no hope whatsoever apart, apart from you. Yet we are told that there is this hope, or this hope, or this hope, or this possibility, and it's all a lie. There's no hope, there's no truth, there is no future, there's no basis for optimism apart from you. And how blessed we are that you have worked in so many of our lives here to open our blind eyes and show us the truth of the gospel and the reality of Christ, that that he sits at the right hand of the Father that he has accomplished his work, that he came for a purpose and for a reason. We believe that one day he's coming back to set things right. And in the interim, we are called to occupy until he comes. We pray for ourselves. We pray for our thinking. We pray that we might be able to live our lives through the grid of your word. We pray that we might have your wisdom as we are all facing different situations that are hard and difficult and some are puzzling and we're not sure what the next step would would be or should be, so we look to you. We have nowhere else to look, but you have said to us that if we ask for wisdom, you'll give it to us, so we ask for it. We pray for the guys that are under uh, incredible pressure, for whatever reasons. Just a tremendous strain. They feel the weight of responsibility that's on their shoulders. You said in your word, Lord, to call upon you in the day of trouble. That you would rescue us and then we would honor you. There are guys in here that need to be rescued immediately. The psalmist said, he said, answer me in my distress and answer me quickly. There are guys here, Lord, that need intervention immediately. And you have promised to be there for us. Encourage them. I I pray for the guys that are under that incredible stress that I I would just, uh, Lord, I have no basis. I I, I just ask in the next 24 hours, you would do something to encourage them and you would let them know You would just let them know in a fresh way that you're with them, that they're not by themselves. You're near to the brokenhearted. You save those who are crushed in spirit. We are asking tonight, Lord, that uh, we would not waste this time, but that it would be profitable and meaningful and productive and fruitful. We would uh, again ask for teachable hearts. We don't want to be closed off to the truth. We don't want to be foolish men. If there's an area of our lives that, that, that needs to be touched by your spirit. Then do the work. It might even be an area where we, where we have resisted you. It might even be an area that we're not even aware of, but we would ask you to do the work. You save us from our sins, but we need you to save us on a daily basis. And at times, we need you to save us from ourselves. Thank you for... The fact that you are such a gracious father and a good father. You have our best interest in mind, and sometimes you'll even use pain to do what's best for us. So make us sharp, make us attentive, make us teachable, and instruct us tonight from your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Daniel 4, all right? Daniel 4. And we're, this is. Interesting chapter because it, it, it is a, uh, if you will, it's a short biography on a guy that we have become familiar with because we've met him earlier in the book. It, it's not a biography on Daniel; it's a biography on Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody has a story and everybody has a has a biography. Uh, when I was out in California doing the deal for Crossline Church at Forest Home. One of the things they did before one of the sessions was they had one of the guys give up, get up and give us testimony. Everybody has a testimony. Everybody has a story. And, and this gentleman got up and gave a story. He was probably, you know, 60, pretty young guy, actually. <laughs> got up and gave his story, and it was an interesting story because uh, he went back to, he came out of college, was married, uh, you know, was, uh, majored in physics. Uh, did, did very well, went on and got a Ph.D., landed a great job with NASA, uh, wound up traveling around the world and meeting with different co- countries and their programs and all of this. And, uh, well, anyway, he doesn't know the Lord, and uh, the years go flying by. His uh, son goes to college, graduates from college. His son becomes a Christian. Uh, Mary's a Christian gal. Uh, they have uh, a child. And this guy's story was very interesting. He he said, Really, the way I came to Christ was not. See, the way it's supposed to happen is that a father is supposed to model Christianity to his son. With me, it was the reverse. My son modeled Christianity to me. And I saw how my son related to his wife and how he related to his son. And I couldn't deny the reality that something was different. And so later in life, he became a believer, he became a Christian see that's his testimony that's his story that's his bio everybody in here has a story and it's unique and it it, when you hear the story you just shake your head because we are all recipients of the goodness of God and the grace of God and the providence of God everybody in here has a story Daniel 4 basically is Nebuchadnezzar's story in in abbreviated form Several years ago, I met a young man, and I knew him from a distance because he went to school with one of my sons. I hadn't seen him since he was probably 15 or 16. He's now in his late 20s. And I had sort of known his story, grew up in a Christian family, uh, you know, went to Christian schools, solid church, the the whole story. Growing up in Dallas, solid evangelical heritage and tradition, got married, had a a couple kids, got away from the Lord, left his wife, uh, made some really bad decisions in his early 20s, pretty much torpedoed his life, um, did some really destructive things and absolutely hit the bottom, and then God got his attention when he hit the bottom. And for the first time, he really came to know Christ, not know about him, but know him. And it was probably a year or two after that and I had heard the story through my son that I met him and we got reacquainted and as we were talking he said, yeah, I've been through a lot of things since you saw me last. And then he dropped his head and he says, I guess, Mr. Farrar, i I, I got to learn things the hard way. And I said, well, that's how we all learn. We all learn the hard way. Everybody in here has learned the hard way. Any, in fact, I'm curious, anybody in here, anybody in here, have you learned the easy way? I'd like to see your hand because you're delusional. <laughs> Why is it we can't learn the easy way? We all have to learn the hard way. Something has to happen where we hit bottom. Something has to happen where our lives fall apart because we keep making the wrong choices. We keep, doing, uh, we keep doing the wrong things. We keep doing the dumb things. We keep doing the things that aren't smart. Why is that? Why, why do we all learn, in, 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 a sense, in a sense, our stories are all pretty much the same. In the, in the sense that we've all had to learn, here's what we all have in common. We've all had to learn the hard way. Now, the question is, why do we all have to learn the hard way? Well, it's because we all resist God. We all resist doing it God's way. We all want to do it our way. We think we know best. We think we've got more smarts. We think, oh, yeah, that happened to him and him, and it's not going to happen to me because, you see, I got—I see—I really know. And so what do we do? We, we set our own path. We, we go against wisdom. We go against good counsel. And we're going to do it our way. And we're going to and, and quite frankly, we're going to resist God. I, I, uh, th- there is a channel on XM radio simply called Sinatra." That's all it's called. It's just what is it? 73 on XM radio? It's just, it's just and it comes out. it reads out Sinatra. Well, when I think Sinatra, I think of one song. I did it my way. That's stupid. That's stupid, and I think he would agree with that today. That's not the way you want to do it. Now, the question is, why is it, Oh, and the reason I'm bringing all this up is that, you see, that was pretty much, we're talking about Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel 4, that was pretty much his story. He had to learn it the hard way. Why did he have to learn it the hard way? Because he's resisting God. He had to do it his way. Why is it that we are all resisting God? Why is that? i just go ahead and tell it's because of pride. We resist God because of pride. You ever had the experience of someone telling you about a movie they just saw, it's a great movie, and they get so excited about it, they go ahead and tell you, you know, you think, I gotta go see this movie, and they get so excited, they go ahead and tell you the ending? Don't you hate that? I'm gonna tell you the ending. Go to Deuteronomy chapter four, not Deuteronomy, I'm in Daniel. Go to Daniel chapter 4. We haven't even read the beginning of the story. I'm going to go ahead and give you the ending. Because this guy's going to give us his biography. And here's the whole point of the biography is in the last chapter of Daniel chapter 4. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are true and his ways are just. Watch this. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. That's his story. That's his biography. God takes proud men, that's you, that's me, that's Nebuchadnezzar, and what does he do? He lets us hit bottom. He lets our lives fall apart. We find out we're not as smart as we thought we were. And he saves our lives. How does he save us? By us. because you see, he humbles those who walk in pride. And when he does that, he saves your life. It's, 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 it's really kind of a remarkable story. Um, we've run across this guy. Probably the events of Daniel chapter 4 occur maybe 40 years after the events of the previous chapter, which was uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the, in the fiery furnace. You say, well, how do we know that? Well, it appears that when you read the entire chapter, later he alludes to the fact that he was walking around the great city of Babylon and he was giving himself credit for the city which he had built. You don't build a city in three weeks. You don't build a city like Babylon and by the way, there were seven wonders of the world and one of them was the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the great sites in all the world. This guy built it. He spent his life. So most scholars would say to us, there's probably 40 years, maybe 50, that would pass from Daniel 3 to Daniel chapter 4. Now, this chapter we're going to break up into T's tonight. So we're going to break it down. And we're going to go through it and then come back and draw some conclusions. In verses 1 through 4, you've got a testimony. Just like the guy I heard give his testimony a few weeks ago, how he came to know Christ, this is Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. Because what we have here is a man who was the most powerful man on the face of the earth who came to faith in the God of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. This guy became converted. It took him a long time. Why? Because he resisted God for a long time, even though God was evident to him through his power and through the miraculous things that God did. But the guy resisted God. Why? He wanted to do it his way. See, the problem is when God shows up, there's a problem because if God is there and God is real, there's a problem, and the problem is this. He's got authority over you. And if you're, want, if you're bent, hell-bent on doing it your way, well, why? of course you want to do it your way. You don't want to do it his way. That's why we resist him. It's pride. Verses 1 to 3, actually, you've got the testimony. Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live on all the earth, may your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders, watch this, which the Most High God has done for me. That's a testimony. What's a testimony? Just, it's just, here's what God did in my life. Here's what God did. Here's what God did. So we go right down the line. Every row, every guy. Well, here's what God did for me. This guy's a test. This is a testimony. He, he's telling us the story of what God did for him. It's, it has seemed good to me, verse 2 To declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me, how great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. Now, this guy is the most powerful man on the face of the earth. Is he drawing attention to himself and his abilities and his power and his kingdom? No. He says, how great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Mine is temporary. Daniel already told him that way back in the early stages of the book. Oh yeah, you're going to have one of the four great kingdoms, but it's still going to be temporary. But you see, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. There's no end to it. Oh, and his dominion, his power, his rule, his reign is from generation to generation. He governs the whole world forever perpetually. There is never a day, there is never a moment, there is never a second when this great God is not in absolute control. Now, this is the greatest man on the face of the earth, the most powerful man, he had no parliament. He had no Congress. He had no Supreme Court. There were no checks and balances. This guy looked at you and said, You live, or he said, You died, and you died or lived accordingly. Most powerful man on the face of the earth is suddenly giving glory to the one great God. Now, why is this? Uh, beginning in verse 4 down through 18, it's all about a tree. You say a tree? Yeah, a tree. Watch this. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. Okay, now this guy had some kind of house and he had some kind of palace. He had built this incredible city. Uh, Charlie Dyer, who used to be uh, down at Dallas Seminary and is now a Vice President at Moody Bible Institute, has written extensively on Babylon and Saddam Hussein. Actually traveled over there a number of times and when Saddam was at the height of his power for all those years and years what he actually was doing was that he was trying to restore the grandeur of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom he would tell you that Uh, you would go into the great city and there was this great wall there was this great entrance and on it were the Babylonian signs going back to the days of Nebuchadnezzar because you see that was the height the glory that was the ultimate this guy had power this guy had privilege this guy had status this guy had pleasure this guy had a castle he had walls the walls that surrounded his castle you could run two chariots with eight horses each pulling each other and they could go rim to rim without any problem this guy he had no external enemies this guy was secure this guy was wealthy this guy was powerful this guy was at ease if anyone should have been content it was this guy now watch this i was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace I saw a dream and it made me fearful. I think that's interesting. Here's the most powerful, secure man on the face of the earth. He's got everything. He's got all the armies, he's got all security. He's got everything you'd ever want, hope for, dream for. But you know what? He has a dream and guess what? He loses his contentment, he loses his joy and he gets fearful and he gets anxious. A lot of guys are building. They're trying to build this and build their life and build this and if I can get this in place and get this in place then I'm secure, then I'm happy. No, you're not. Because you can never, through external things, get the peace which passes all understanding. That's an internal peace. Jesus said, the peace I give is not like the world. It's greater than the peace of the world. This guy didn't have that. He should have had it. If anybody should have had it, it was this guy, and he didn't have it. He has his dream. I saw a dream and it made me fearful. And these fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions in my mind, watch this, kept alarming me. So I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. This kind of goes back to years before when he had that dream of the great statue which Daniel interpreted, not only interpreted, but told him what the dream was. Uh, Then the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans and diviners, came in and I related the dream to them. Watch this. They could not make its interpretation known to me. They couldn't before and they couldn't now. But finally Daniel came in before me. So all the other guys give it a shot. They can't do it. Here comes Daniel. Daniel does it. Uh, Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom there is a spirit of the holy gods. And I related the dream to him, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians since i know that a spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery baffles you tell me the visions of my dream which i have seen along with its interpretation now these were the visions in my mind as i lay on my bed watch it, this is kind of wild i was looking and behold there was a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great the tree grew large and became strong its height reached to the sky and it was visible to the end of the whole earth its foliage was beautiful, its fruit abundant, and, it, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches, and all living creatures fed themselves from it. I was looking in the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. He shouted out and spoke his follows. So you got this great tree, unbelievable tree. Everybody on the earth can see this tree. But now you got an angel showing up, and watch this in verse 14. He shouted out and spoke as follows Shot down the tree, cut off its branches, strip off its foliage, scatter its fruit, let the beast flee from under it, and the birds from its branches. Yet leave the stump, this is important, yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it, in the new grass of the field, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him share with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers and the decision is a command of the holy ones. In order, what's all this stuff about? Watch there, here's the whole purpose. In order that the living may know that the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets it over the lowliest of men. This is the dream which I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, tell me its interpretation inasmuch as none of the wise men of my kingdom is able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for a spirit of the holy gods is in you. He knows Daniel's going to come true. He knows Daniel knows the one true God because, you see, he's encountered the one true God before. He encountered it when Daniel told him the dream. You, don't, you tell the interpretation after the king tells you the dream. Daniel told him what he was dreaming. Well, only God could reveal that to Daniel. Daniel told him. Then later, you got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he's fiery furnace. You remember that story? Throws them in there, and he goes, hey, didn't we throw three guys in there? Well, there's four, and one of them has the appearance as a son, the sons of God, he said. He was almost right. It was the son of God. So he's encountered this great God before. Now, in verse 19... You got the translation of the dream down to verse 27. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, watch this, was appalled for a while as his thoughts alarmed him. The king responded and said, Belteshazzar, that's Daniel, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar, Daniel replied, my lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. The tree that you saw, the whole thing's a tree. The tree that you saw, which became large and grew strong, whose height reached to the sky and was visible to all the earth, and whose foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the sky lodged. It is you, O king. a hey, king, you're the tree. For you have become great and grown strong, and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky, and your dominion to the end of the earth. Here's the most powerful man on the face of the earth in that the king saw an angelic watcher a holy one descending from heaven and saying chop down the tree and destroy it yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beast of the field until seven periods of time probably seven years pass over him watch this this is the interpretation O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king. The king is high, but God is most high. Now here's the sentence. Here's the decree. That you be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place, be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time will pass over you. Watch this. Until you recognize That the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. And in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree. Your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. Pretty wild. You're the tree. Your dominion, the whole world can see it. God's going to cut you down. You're going to have the mind of an animal, and you're going to graze in the fields with the beast for seven years. Oh, get this. At the end of the seven years, your kingdom is going to be given back to you. Now, God didn't ask him, what do you think about this? God didn't say, how do you feel about this? God didn't take a vote. God didn't run it by a committee. God just said, this is what's going to happen. Now, here's what Daniel does. Daniel tells him, and then note, if you would, in 27, basically what Daniel says is, King, listen, if you'll repent and acknowledge that he is the most high God and embrace him into your heart and into your life, and I'm paraphrasing here, God is a God who honors repentance. God is a God who will turn. But if you will yield and surrender, This is the kind of God we serve. That's, in essence, the gospel. And so Nebuchadnezzar said, I will repent and I will turn to the Most High God. Is that what happened? That's not what happened. Why? He's going to have to learn it the hard way. Just like you and just like me. He's going to have to learn it the hard way. Why is it we always got to learn it the hard way? Why is it we've got to do it our way? Because we think we know best, and we think our way is, is superior. I've, I've mentioned this book to you before, The Undercover Revolution. It's one of the best books I've read this year. It is about the writers uh, in England during the Victorian period that were influential and helped turn the nation of, of England, really from its Christian roots and Christian foundation, into a, a secular state that turned its attention from the Most High God to a secular, materialistic, naturalistic condition. Guys like Robert Louis Stevenson, guys like H. G. E. Wells, guys like George Bernard Shaw, guys like um, um, Bertrand Russell, they, they didn't all live at the same time, they lived sequentially, but they were all writers and they were all in this Intelligentsia, academic intelligentsia, most of them, if not all of them that I mentioned, raised in Christian homes. Most of them knew the gospel, and they discarded it. Um, I'll give you a shot on George Bernard Shaw. George Bernard Shaw, in many ways, was a different kind of man from Wells, but they served the same cause, speaking of H.G. Wells. He was born in Dublin, and a satirical letter on Moody and Sankey, Dwight Moody, Ira Sankey. He wrote a satire on these guys when the evangelist visited that city in 1875 it was his first venture into print. So what's his first venture? He, he, he is sarcastic and cynical about the men who preach the gospel. His Protestant relatives saw the letter as a public profession of atheism. But Shaw denied such charge. It's interesting when you read the history of these guys, when you read their lives, they all denied that they were denying the faith. They all said they were part of the faith. They all said, I am a Christian. But they actively worked in what they said and what they did against Christianity. They were atheists, only they didn't have the courage to come out and say they were atheists, initially. Uh, Shaw denied any such charge. He would not even accept the title agnostic. Indeed, religion would be prominent in a number of his later plays with characters represented as in search of God. But it was a flippant search. Had he not often said he would give God five minutes to strike him dead? That That was his mantra. God's real. I say these things, and if God's real, he'll strike me dead in the next five minutes. Well, God didn't strike him there. Therefore, God must not be real. Um, His play, Black Girl in Search of God, describes her failure in seeking many theologies and how she eventually comes to a man Shaw intends us to recognize as Jesus Christ. She finds him congenial and wise, but giving to conjuring tricks. Christianity without the supernatural might be tolerable, but not a Christianity that has God as its author. Along with the whole group of his friends, Shaw believed evolution proved the slow progress of man to perfection. Salvation could be hoped for, as H.G. Wells also theorized, in the supermen of the future. At the same time, Shaw was for reforming society now. He was confident that socialism was the way forward. And he even came to believe that Soviet communism under Stalin might show how the beautiful ideal could be realized. Then you go on, and he was called, this was the man who through his books, plays, and finally films became described as schoolmaster to the world. He still studied in schools. <coughs> um, he was never happier than when he was changing. Catch this. He was never happier than he was changing the meaning of such words as wicked, marriage, life, and death. He would twist them. <laughs> Typical of his muse- misuse of words was the assertion, I believe in life everlasting, but not for the individual. Just a complete sentence. Uh, he did it his way. The guy goes on and talks about Bertrand Russell, and all they all did it their way. God is a very patient God and God is a very gracious God. So here we are, uh, why are you here on a Wednesday night? Why are you at a Bible study on a Wednesday night? You're, at, you're here at a Bible study because one of two things, you're here for one of two reasons. Either God has broken into your life and brought you to him, or he is in the process of breaking into your life and bringing you to him. That's why you're here. Uh, It's interesting, isn't it, That, um, that we're here studying the Bible, although we start out with absolutely no interest in God. We don't want to do it God's way, we want to do it our way. So why are you here studying the Bible so that you can do it God's way? Obviously something happened in your heart. Well, what happened? We present the gospel, and we encourage people to pray and ask Christ to come into their lives. We ask people, we encourage them to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We declare that he is the Son of God, that he rose from the dead, that he died on the cross for their sins. We embrace Christ and Christ alone as a payment for our sins. We we ask him to be uh, our Savior. We ask him to be our Master. We ask him to be the Lord of our life. We can't live without him, you see? Why do we do that? If you prayed a prayer like that and asked Christ to come into your life, why did you do it? Especially when you see the fact of the matter is, going back to uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, we all have the same story. We all resist God. Why do we resist God? Because of our hearts. You know, it's amazing to me. I think most evangelical Christians believe that anybody, and I'm going to step on some toes here, we believe that anybody can come to Christ anytime they want A lot of you guys believe that because you've been taught that but there's a problem with that and you know what the problem with that is nobody wants to come to Christ left to their own you say what do you mean nobody wants to you don't want to come to Christ we want to do it our way we are resistant to the things of God we want to be gods of our own life that's why we resist God and want to do it our way So why does anybody come to Christ? You know what Jesus said? He said, no man comes unless the Father what? Draws him. Why is that true? Because our hearts are desperately sick and wicked. It's because we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We are locked up in our sin. Dead men can't change. Dead men don't change. Dead men can't will to become alive. Here's the fact of the gospel. Francis Schaeffer used to say, Uh, someone asked him one time if he had an hour on a plane to explain the gospel how would he spend the hour with the person sitting next to him and you know what Schaefer said? Schaefer said I believe we are too quick to share the good news he said if I had an hour to talk to someone about the gospel on the plane I would spend 45 to 50 minutes telling them the bad news and you know what the bad news is? you're a sinner, you're dead in your trespasses and sin and on your own, by yourself, there is absolutely nothing you can do to change. You can't earn your way. You can't work your way. You can't give your way. You can't donate your way. You are absolutely caught up in your trespasses and sin. And there is no hope for you whatsoever. And there is nothing in you that will call to God unless the Spirit of God works in your life. And then the last 10, 15 minutes, he gives give them the good news that there's a Savior. Jesus said, no man can come unless the Father draws him. Here's what else Jesus said. Jesus said, All whom the Father has given me, watch this, will what? You got to know this first. All the Father has given me will come. You see, we spend our lives resisting God. But you know the fact of the matter is? God cannot be resisted. Even when you want to resist Him. If God has chosen you to eternal life, guess what? You're coming. You're coming. And he's going to work in your heart, and he's going to change your heart, and he's going to draw you and regenerate, and at a certain point, you're going to say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Now, that's the gospel. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, you get the translation of the dream. He says, look at King, you, 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 you've not acknowledged God, you've not embraced him. You've got seven years, you're going to live like an animal. And does this guy respond and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. I'm, Lord, forgive me, come in. Does he do that? No, why? He's gotta do it the hard way, just like you did. Just like I did. He's gotta hit absolute bottom. Now, here we come. Watch uh, verse 28. In verse 28, you've got the turn. The turn, the turn? Yeah, it happened a year later. The turn is from sanity to insanity. Verse 28, all this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. 12 months later, he was walking on the roof of the palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon, the great, which I myself has built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty while the word was in the king's mouth? And by the way, God was gracious to this guy. There was a king in the book of Acts named Herod, and when he got up to speak, they said, oh, the voice of a god and not a man. And you know what the Lord did? He struck him with worms in his intestines and his guts, and the sucker died a painful, horrific death a putrid death. Does God do this to this guy? No. God's gracious and God's merciful. Watch this. He says, Is this not the great city which I have built and for the glory of my majesty? While the word was still in his mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. You will be driven away from mankind. Your dwelling place will be with the beast of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. In other words, you're not sovereign, he's sovereign. Immediately, watch this, immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. That's the turn. So for seven years, this guy turned insane and he lived like an animal. You know, the worst thing that can ever happen to you or me is for God to give us what we want. You know, when you're a kid, you just want, give me, it's mine, it's mine. The worst thing that can happen in your life, see, we all have plans, we all have goals, we all have aspirations. The worst thing that could ever happen to you is for God to give you what you desire. When God gives you over to what you want, you're doomed. That's Romans 1, verse 18, to the end of the passage. You, you, you want to live as though God isn't there? He'll just give you over. Lou, you already gave me 15, didn't you? Yeah, you did. And now you're giving me five. That's not good news. If you read Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it states, they knew God was there. They knew he was, and, you know, let's go. Let's go Romans 1. I've got to show you this. We've been through this before. But guys, listen, it explains where we are in this nation. That's why it's so important. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. I told you about that Ben Stein movie, didn't I? It's spelled. Some of you have seen it. If you haven't seen it, you need to rent the DVD. Because he sits down with all these atheists, these guys, is it Richard Dawkins, who's the all-time great atheist, you know, the great proponent, the giant brain, who's against God? And Ben Stein's just talking to the guy and, you know, gets in a conversation, kind of disarms the guy, and Dawkins, in a weak moment, basically admits there's design in the universe. There's design to the earth. And, and, and Stein says, so where do you think this comes from? And he says, oh, I believe extraterrestrials came and. That's what he says. I mean it's 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 pathetic, it's pitiful, it's sad. Now, how does a guy like that get there? Well, he suppresses the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to them. Everybody knows that God's there. God wrote it on your heart. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen. How do you clearly see invisible attributes? Through what has been made. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. I remember us driving to Colorado. We were driving up to Vale. We got there late. Flew into Colorado Springs. We're into the car. We're going up to Vale. We're on the Continental Divide. It's about 10, 30, 11. We get out to stretch our legs. Just get out just to walk around. I just happened to look up. Crystal clear night. And I'm going to tell you something. At 10,000 feet, those stars about knocked me over. They just about knocked me over. And the first thing I thought was the heavens are telling of the glory of God. Psalm 19. He's everywhere. Even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks; they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened, professing to be wise, they became as fools. They exchanged his glory uh, verse 24. Therefore God gave them over. Verse 26. Therefore God gave them over. Verse 28, therefore God gave them over. Why? They won't acknowledge that God is there. Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't acknowledge that God is there. Can I tell you something about the greatness of God, guys? And, 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 and here's why we know Christ. We, we, we spend our lives resisting him. Let me just wrap this up. We spend our lives resisting him. It's very interesting, and I didn't read this, and I don't have time to read it, but there's a section in here about how these different writers would write about their lives and how they basically, they basically gave an appearance that their lives and their philosophy brought about the most happiness. Yet the fact of the matter was, when you examine their personal life, life they were the most miserable of men. No joy, no contentment, no peace. Why? Because they weren't at peace with God. In fact, they denied that God existed. See, they resisted him, they resisted him, they resisted. You know what's great about God, and you know what's great about why we are Christians and why we know Christ? Um, This great God whom we serve, that we resist, he's irresistible. He's irresistible. Let's finish out Daniel 4, and I'm going to show you this. This is the testimony of this great king. And once again, you see, it's the sovereignty of God that brings joy and contentment and peace. This guy had to learn the lesson the hard way. Um, Note, if you would, verse... Note, if you would, verse 34, because in verses 34 through 37, he reaches the truth. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my reason returned to me. You know, there's a certain point in our lives when Christ breaks in and guess what happens our reason returns and we say to ourselves how could I have been so stupid how could I have been so foolish how could I have been going down this path so long what's happened God invades your life and he returns reason to you At the end of that period I Nebuchadnezzar raised my eyes towards heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever watch this for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth, including me, he would say, are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? You know what that means? He's irresistible. At that time, my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out so I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me God gave him the kingdom back that's why the tree was cut but they put a a band of iron and bronze around the stump so that the tree couldn't be destroyed because after seven years God was going to raise him up now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven for all his works are true and his ways just and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Now, I want to finish with this. When I say that God is irresistible, some of you guys don't like that. You just don't like it. I want to give you, just as we finish, let me give you one, two, three, four things that are irresistible about God. Number one, the power of God is irresistible. What did he say? He says, no one can wear off his hand. Number two, the plan of God is irresistible. Did did, uh, God have a plan for Nebuchadnezzar's life? Yes. It was irresistible. God said, listen, here's what's going to happen. You don't respond. There's going to be seven years animal. Seven years it's over. I'm going to restore it. That's irresistible. That's a sovereign God who's in control of all things. So the power of God is irresistible. The plan of God is. Number three, the timing of God is irresistible. God loves, he'll just show up and say, here's what's going to happen in this time frame. Seven years to to Pharaoh, seven years of prosperity, seven years of drought. To this guy, seven years you're going to be an animal, seven years you get your kingdom back. Here's what else is irresistible. The salvation of God is irresistible. And you know what? That bothers some of you guys. Now I got a question for you, if that kind of If that kind of rubs you the wrong way, here's my question to you. Why would the fact that the salvation of God be irresistible to you when it's the only thing that can save your life? Because you see, the fact of the matter is we spend our lives resisting God. And you say, well, I don't think that's right, that the salvation of God would be irresistible. If you don't think that's right, you go to hell. Don't you? The only thing that can save you is the irresistible pull of the Spirit of God, who brings. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, "I came kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God." Has He brought you kicking and screaming? What a great God! The very thing that'll save us. See, we're so stupid we don't even get it. We love. Well, that's my freedom. That's my. What do you mean, your freedom? You're screwed up, and I'm screwed up. And in our so-called freedom, we would never choose the thing that would save our lives. So he brings us to himself. What a great God. What a great God. He's our Savior. And you know what? He keeps saving us. He keeps saving us. Does he not? He keeps saving us. He just keeps saving us. Why? Because he's a great Savior. or oh, because he's sovereign. And because he's in absolute control. And once again, I finish with the sovereignty of God. That's where this guy finishes. And you know what, because of the sovereignty of God, I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna sleep tonight. I hope you'll sleep too. I'll tell you, guys, I just keep taking two teaspoons of the sovereignty of God and I go to sleep. And when I start to question it or wonder or stray from it, you know what, I don't do well. So tonight, I'm gonna go home and take a quart. And I would suggest the same for you. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you know what's best. What a great God you are. What a great God you are. You've got the seasons planned. You've got the times planned. You've got the future planned. For the whole world and for us as individual men. For the guys that are facing serious, serious crisis. May their hope be in you. I will cry to God Most High to God who accomplishes all things for me he will send from heaven and save me in his name we pray amen